The following contains plot spoilers and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. It was a world where mutant kind was dying out and one man with adamantium claws found himself protecting a girl who was both scared and vicious. That was the plot to Logan, and this is totally super. Explain yourself, sir. I must huh? know it. I I kind of get it. I sort of get it. But Logan, oh, because the because this other one starts with Logan. Is that the well, idea? Well, yeah, we're 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 yeah, we're we're gonna be we're we're talking about Deadpool two, which you know by its own definition uh, is essentially just a rehash of Logan. So. You know. Yes, it is. Uh, hey, if Wade, also, if Wade Wilson can make if Wade Wilson can make constant comments on Logan, then so can I. Also, then I'm damn Arthur. It, so, damn it, so can Arthur Rowan. He can do it too. Um, uh, this is totally super. Where we review uh, every superhero podcast ever made. My name is Justin, and I am Arthur. So today, uh, we're doing Deadpool two, which I saw last night for the very first time. I don't usually see movies by myself. I tend to go out with someone, with anyone. I don't even watch fictional movies by myself in my own home. And when I rewatch shows by myself or I watch movies by myself in my home, I do them things that I've seen before. I watch movies that I've seen in the past. I'm doing a little bit of a Buffy re- rewatch right now. I am doing my best uh, to not watch movies or TV shows without someone else there because part of the viewing experience for me when it comes to watching new things is to watch them with somebody. I look at them. I'm actually holding onto the table for this. When there's something funny, I look at the person next to me to see if they're laughing. I shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I know it's stupid, but I do it. So I don't know if my experience of Deadpool would have been different watching it with my wife, who's an enormous Deadpool fan, or with my dad, who I watched Deadpool 2 with, I can't believe, or the Deadpool 1 with, I can't believe that he watched it. And watching his reaction and the unexpectedness of how much he liked it. I mm-hmm. don't know if my experience might have been different if I'm I had a partner did, to, I'm getting the sense to which you I'm didn't so enjoy used. This. I did enjoy it. I wonder if I would have, I'm just saying that I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more had I enjoyed it the way I enjoy every movie that I watched for the first time, which is with someone else. I will well, say... possible. Well, let me ask. Yeah. Do you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? Ah, that's a hard question. I consider myself a surface-level extrovert who okay. can either be the center of attention in a giant room. I can go to a party and be the funniest guy in the room for about 15 minutes. Then I retire to a section of the party where maybe I can find one person to talk to. Small talk mm-hmm. in a group is tedious and painful for me. Got it. Well, I think the uh, to to address what you're talking about, the certainly um, watching. I know for, for me, watching uh, horror films is far much more fun when you're watching with a group of people. Um, I remember. Uh, distinctly going to see uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs on opening night, which was not a great film, but uh, I screamed like a little girl at least four or five times during the during the movie, and that was because everyone around me did it. That's part of the fun of the, you know, the quasi-religious experience of watching something. Uh, it is proven that people are more likely to laugh when in a group. It's why 
in general, for the most part, the larger your crowd when you're doing a comedy on stage, the more likely you're going to have to uh, to laugh, especially if the crowd is all together and not scattered throughout the room. Um, so in that sense, uh, had I, you know, even for me, when I'm with friends, I know I laugh more if I'm watching something with friends. Uh, you know, so it's a question of, I totally get um, if you're, if you were looking for a more sort of visceral comic experience, how going on your own could get in the way of that. So the crowd I was with, I, let me say this for a Monday night showing, this was still a fairly, like it was a littler theater. I didn't go see it in an IMAX, but the theater had a good amount of people. Had it been an emptier theater, I might have had a different experience, but having one person next to me, just one that I, that I can enjoy a movie with is important to me um which is why when i watch movies by myself they tend to be documentaries i feel like i'm i listen to a lot of podcasts by myself the Mm -hmm. the communal experience of watching both tvs and shows i realize is a huge part of the primary value that they have for me well it it sounds like it sounds like justin learned something about himself from this experience well i've seen it's not the only movie i've seen by myself i saw halloween resurrection by myself uh, a long time ago. I, that must have been, you know, over 10 years ago. And I'm trying to think uh, any other movies that I just went to on my lonesome. I really, I I can't think of them. I could probably think of, like, count them on one hand, certainly, the amount of movies mm-hmm. that I've seen just by myself. Uh, so in a movie like Deadpool, where the movie wants you to like it and... It's not just any comedy. It's a comedy where Deadpool's talking to you. The the nods to the the audience, I think, would be especially appreciated if there's a person next to you where you can go, yeah, right, you know, that that maybe I missed out on. That being said, we don't really need to talk about what has been your experience with Deadpool since the first one. Has your Or what was your anticipation of this one? We talked about this a little bit last week, so I don't, I don't want to spend too much time rehashing it, but... I have, since our last recording, watched, like I said, Deadpool 1 with my dad, who doesn't like superhero movies, he says. I showed him the Avengers, having not seen any of the other superhero films, but he knew the characters from the comics when he was a little kid. And I showed him the Avengers, and he dug it. And I showed him Deadpool, and I was ready for him to hate it, and he dug it. Um and mm-hmm. at the same time, a friend of mine uh, who we spoke about over on the Trek Off podcast, who's never seen any like comic book movies has not seen any star Wars movies, no star Trek. He actually said, well, Deadpool is one that I saw, but that's different. And mm-hmm. so I wonder, is Deadpool different? Does Deadpool in, in that it's the, the counter programming, the counterculture version of a comic book movie. Is it the comic book movie for comic book for non-comic book movies and would P or non-comic book fans. And would what this film does be a turnoff to them, and I think that would be an important thing to talk about because this is much more. So wait, your, of a your, comic quest, book your, your question is: your question is, would this film be a turnoff to non-comic book fans who enjoyed the first one? Yes. Huh. Uh, I think we can ponder that as we talk the about case. Um, I so to answer your first question, uh, my experience with Deadpool after the first one was uh, I've been reading a lot of Deadpool comics uh, over the past year or two. Uh, very much kind of enjoying the character, as we discussed in the lot last podcast. Uh, he's different in the comics than he is in the film. Uh, his heart of gold is much more prevalent, uh, especially in this film, but even in the first Deadpool. 
Uh, so actually, in terms of character, I actually prefer the movie version of him. Uh, and I was not, you know, waiting for this film with bated breath. Uh, I was, you know, kind of looking forward to it. I sure as heck enjoyed all the trailers that they did leading up to it. Uh, but I came out of the movie ver- having very much enjoyed it. To me, this movie did everything a sequel should. Uh, it gave you and honored everything that was great about the first one, but it also gave you plenty of new stuff and took the story further. Uh, this this film, I, I remember thinking, and I was just like, yeah, this is uh, this is Aliens to Alien. This is uh, this is a very good. Uh, a very good sequel. That's really interesting because I prefer Aliens to Alien. So, well, that's, that's what I mean. Really yeah, I, that as as do I, which is why <sighs> I, um, after watching the first Deadpool again, I really enjoyed it. Uh, there was just something je ne sais quoi about it that was lacking, and I found that that was delivered to me in this one. So, yeah, I, I preferred the sequel. It's also worth noting that this film falls smack dab in between Avengers Infinity War and Solo, uh, which comes out uh, right now. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 22nd of May, 2018. And two days from now, we're getting brand new Star Wars. And two and a half weeks ago, we got the culmination of the Marvel Universe. So maybe it's where this film falls. Maybe I can't in a different summer. This would have been like the movie of the summer for me. I would have been so excited for this. And maybe I can't keep my level of as it is. Uh, there's Star Wars fatigue. Yeah, so you might have you might have some emo- you might have some less. emotional fatigue there. Yeah, and just it's worth noting, and I've 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 mentioned this on on the other podcast too that I am also I've moved to a new studio, um, and a new home. Uh, so that has been in the middle of everything. This is the reason I saw it by my own is that there just wasn't time to do what I would normally do because so much of life is happening. I had to fit this one in for the show. Now it's worth noting the Deadpool two uh, launched uh, to $300 million worldwide, which is amazing. $125 million in the United States. Now this is not Avengers infinity war money. It's, you know, it's not, but it's compared to most other movies. This is a, an unqualified hit. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes meter. Well, when you consider, uh, especially that the first film was uh, was in, made on a budget of less than sixty million dollars, and you know, and they made that back three times over in the first weekend sales alone with this film. Uh, yeah, unqualified success. Well, and the budget for this one is one hundred and ten million, which is twice the first. But still, as superhero movies go, it's still not like, for instance, Black Panther cost twice this to make. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, no, you know, the uh, the increased production values you could definitely see in this one because uh, they they were going they were filming knowing that, no, we're going to make this money back so we can afford to spend some. And again, profit by weekend one, you know, every studio would love that. Yeah. So in terms of the production uh, of this film, this film was not without its problems. Uh, the biggest pro- problem within the film was the death of a stunt person in this film, which is just, you know, you, you do stunts and, and, and you do fight choreography and it is the, the scariest thing, right? Uh, Joy S.J. Harris, uh, probably in the scene involving Domino, I would assume, uh, died in a motorcycle accident, uh, during the filming of this film. It's also worth noting. Mm, I was not aware of that. That the actor T.J. Miller, uh, came under some, uh, fire 
for some problems. I'm going to, we talked about this uh, in the last thing in the last movie where, uh, where he had some, the Uber assault and the sexual misconduct allegations and stuff. The difference being in the last film that wasn't known and we were not in the middle of the me too movement. Now we are in the middle of the me too movement and this is a known fact about him. So, we are in a position where the question did come up, well, can you cut him out? Can you do something? Can you reduce his part? Like these are things that were that were bandied about. So this is a film that had its its problems uh in production. That being said, they kept the budget relatively low, um, which was pretty awesome. Um, considering what they can do for 110 million. Again, we talked last time about fifty eight million dollars is the cost of a low budget uh of, is the cost of a low budget uh, romantic comedy, and this film is the cost of a low budget actioner. Now, now we're talking, you know, like the Blade series stuff. Like, the, I'm sure they were less than 110 million, but compared to other Marvel films, and knowing what this film would make, the you would think the the desire to throw tons of money at it would be there. I will still say, I prefer the cheap aesthetic of the first one. There's something I, as a B, I, I like to call myself an indie filmmaker. Let's call me what I am. I'm a, I make B movies. And there's something about that aesthetic that I really like the, I, we don't have enough money. So this is what we're doing makes me brings a certain amount of joy to my heart. The bigger budget it gets, the less charm that it has. And this is a movie that the rises and falls, or at least the first movie rose and fell on its charms. So the question is, is now that we are a big budget action film um, or a bigger budget action film, can we do it? Shall we shall we do the plot, sir? Go ahead. So the Green Lantern comes home to his apartment to find his girlfriend murdered in a fridge. Sorry. What I meant to say is former Green Lantern Ryan Reynolds comes home to his appointment, his apartment where his girlfriend is murdered, therefore motivating him to kill himself while also joking about how Hugh Jackman did it. This sends him into an emotional tailspin where he is retrieved by Colossus and brought to the X-Mansion. After trying to be a trainee X-Man, Deadpool finds a young man called Firefist who is trying to blow up the school where he used to be taught and it is later revealed tortured by anti-mutant haters. Firefist and Deadpool are brought to jail after Deadpool starts killing people on this particular excursion. In the jail, sorry, in in the jail, Firefist makes friends with the toughest person in the jail, later revealed to be Juggernaut, while a man from the future named Cable, whose family was killed by the adult Firefist, shows up to take his revenge on Firefist. Deadpool escapes, battles Cable, the two of them find themselves out in the world, and Deadpool decides he needs to recruit a new team of baddies to save good old Firefist from Cable, because... His girlfriend, who's in the afterlife, will not let him join with her because his heart isn't in the right place regarding children. So he puts together X-Force, and X-Force tries to save Firefist as Cable comes to try and kill him. So X-Force is put together with Shatterstar, which I remember from the original X-Force, uh, <laughs> the Vanisher, briefly played by Brad Pitt. And uh, I'm trying to remember the, the names of the other people, other people who don't really matter, and uh, and Domino. 
So they come to try and retrieve. Uh, th- there's a big battle as they try and retrieve Firefist from the prison brigade, and Firefist uh, gets free with the Juggernaut. Cable joins up with the only surviving members of X Force as X Force is just brutally killed because of Deadpool's incompetence. Cable joins up with uh, with Deadpool and the surviving members, giving Deadpool 30 seconds to try to convert Firefist back to the good side. They do an all-out assault on the school that Firefist is attacking juggernaut battles colossus the rest of x-force battles other people and deadpool pleads with Firefist to please come back around to the good side he does changing the future having never killed cable's family and credits roll but not before we see a mid-credit sequence where vanessa is brought back to life through the use of time travel and ryan reynolds in the middle of his excursion to try to fix all things that went bad also gets rid of himself and x-men origins wolverine and stops himself from reading the script from green lantern end there you go so there's (laughs) a lot of plot in this here's i am listening to your tone delivering that entire thing you said you enjoyed this film i'm not so sure like everything, well, like, like every, you, you sound like a kicked puppy. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a kicked puppy. I'm not, I am, I was having a hard time getting all the plot out. Um, and I forgot that Russell's name was Russell. So I, Firefist came into my head and I was like, oh, Firefist. Mm-hmm. I'll just keep saying Firefist as my brain starts. Well, to it's interesting you mentioned, so it's interesting you mentioned plot because during the last podcast, you specifically said one of your, um, one of your concerns from, the trailers was that it looked like this film was going to be very plot heavy and you hoped that it didn't get in the way of character development because uh you really really liked how much and of a or focus fun. there was on and or fun character yeah, and development fun. and because you really fun. liked how much of a focus there was on fun and character in the first one uh so let me ask you and then I'll give my answer to it uh did you did you find that the plot did get in the way or did you think that there was enough character and fun in this one did the plot get in the way you know the plot served the character development there was significantly less fun in this film the film was not as funny except when it was funnier it's really interesting it's almost like the humor of the first film got compartmentalized in some of the funniest bits that like it's there the the x-force dying bit is just the best it's just Mm -hmm. i laughed so hard the end of the film is so funny um and the the spoiler alert deadpool dying for like five minutes is such a brave mm-hmm. comedic choice that they oh like, and i heard everybody laughed at first and then the whole audience got really kind of uncomfortable and upset at the bit it was and then he family and then guided. the audience i'm he sorry absolutely he family guided it uh to family guy a bit is it's one of the things family guy was really known for in the first few years especially is to take something make it funny push it past, you know, keep keep playing the bit until it becomes unfunny, but still keep playing it until it comes back around to being funny again. Uh, the classic example is uh, Peter falling and hurting his leg, grabbing his knee and going, ah, ah, and he does it for about a minute and a half. And it's exactly that. It's funny, then it's not. And then it's funny again, possibly even funnier. And that is exactly oh, what the de- uh, what uh, Deadpool's death scene was. Um, made even, yeah. I have to say that I got to drop this in. Um, not just it wasn't just a funny scene; it was incredibly subversive and incredibly 
Uh, you were talking about like a comic book film that comments on other comic book films. Do you know what the soundtrack was that was playing underneath his death scene? No, what was it? It was it was the music that was playing underneath Logan's death scene in Logan. Is it really? It was. I didn't realize it until I'm watching the credits and then, you know, and at the end of the credits, it shows all the songs that were listed in it. And then it showed uh, from it said that there was one uh, music piece uh, entitled Don't Be What They Made You from the movie Logan. And I went oh, and listened to it great. and I was like, holy God, that was the music playing in Deadpool's death scene. Like, well, I did so see, this film I wondered starts, if there were I wondered if there were seeds like that. To make me enjoy it more on subsequent viewings. For instance, the orca- the the chorale that's happening during the fight with the Juggernaut, holy shitballs choir. I kind of realized that maybe they were saying something when the fight was going on, but then in the credits, I heard and I was like, "Oh, now I need to see." It's going to be funnier the next time yeah. I see it. And the same thing with the X Force, the X Force rap. So oh, the X Force eighty, yeah. which is which made, took me back to like Ghostbusters and the original TMNT. Of like uh, that you're you talking know, about Ghostbusters rap. two, and that's the Bobby Brown Ghostbusters two rap, which went too hot to handle, too cold to hold. You call the Ghostbusters and you get control. Yes, spirit. Some so people well. fear it. Some people see. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there is spirit. spirit what that's is I also think spirit? On, some people also, hear it. Some people fear it. Spirit. Some people just don't want to get near it. Heroes on a half shell. They're on a mission. When there's a battle, got the enemy wishing that they'd stayed at home instead of fighting these ninja masters with moves like lightning. They were once normal, but now they're mutants. Splinter's the teacher, so they are the students. Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello make up the team with one other fellow, Raphael. He's the leader of the group, transformed from the norm by the nuclear coop. Pizza's the food that's sure to please. These ninjas are into pepperoni and cheese. <laughs> well done, sir. Bravo, bravo. Wow. Yeah. Um. Okay. So <laughs> I, I wasn't just reading to... that, ladies and gentlemen. That was from memory. <laughs> Oh, um, I, I don't think there's anyone out there listening who thought for a moment that you were reading it. Uh, yeah, the, okay. Um, I, so I just I just need to give a shout out. The soundtrack to this was luminous. It was brilliant. Uh, both it was both appropriate to every scene, while at the same time commenting on the scenes. I mean, I'm sorry. the The sheer brilliance of having an epic choir instead of singing Latin, just straight out singing holy shit it's the juggernaut holy shit balls was fantastic so i need to start with the first thing that i'm unha- unhappy with though um after a a brilliant opening sequence with him just being murderous and funny which is great i loved it he comes home to vanessa and they talk mm-hmm. about having a baby and immediately i recognize the tonal shift I know what's about to happen. It is telegraphed, but not telegraphed in a way that's funny or, or ironic to me. I just kind of know mm-hmm. that it's going to happen. And I, the, the conversation is very serious. And I'm thinking back to in the first movie, the calendar girl sequence, which was all at once over the top sexual and also really positive. We talked about how that was a, is a real yeah, sex, very positive sex positive relationship. Yeah. Um, this is a film that it's noted. There's no sex in this movie. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's body humor, but no actual sex happening in the film. Um, they talk about how they're going to go make a baby and how they're talking about family. And they're, they, it's the film takes sort of a, already a, a different and more serious tone than I'm expecting. And then they full on fridge Vanessa, mm-hmm. which maybe it's and it's interesting because 
the reason that I'm so sensitive fridging, I've talked about this, is that in the third movie I, I ever made, Ninjas vs. Monsters, which is a movie I'm very proud of, I mm-hmm. was called out by one of the producers on the film afterward, where were you during the script sections, Lanes? Um, about the fact that, boy, you certainly have murdered a lot of female characters to motivate your male characters. And Liz uh, rightly called me on it. And I wish I had thought about it before as I was writing the script, although it's not like I ever took notes mm-hmm. when I was writing the script. Uh, so today on Facebook, Liz wrote, Deadpool 2, I'm disappointed, women in refrigerators. That was her mm-hmm. comment on the film. I think that this is, I sometimes I use the word unforgivable. Is this unforgivable? Is this truly fridging? In that it motivates him to go into a tailspin, which then moves the rest of the action along. Is it like so it doesn't direct her getting back to her directly motivates her him. But really, she is objectified and removed in kind of the most heinous way in this film. Your thoughts? Um, my thoughts. So first, you are correct in that this is a I didn't actually even realize it until you're talking it. But this is a textbook example of fridging. Um so that is, I can absolutely see uh, why somebody who, if they have just seen uh, movie after movie after movie of this fridging happening, why this could be a sense of just one more straw on the camel's back. Uh, absolutely. That being said, uh, if we consider this film completely separate from anything else, uh, you know, which is, you know, already, that's not something realistic to do, but let's give it a try. Um, this film completely on its own, uh, I felt like it did the job very, very well. Um, because it was not, Vanessa was not a throwaway in this. The, and it's not just that she was killed halfway through to give an extra oomph little boost to the, to the character's, uh, emotion. Like the worst kinds of fridging are the ones where it's like, oh, the character was, you know, the character was mad at the villain before, but now let's make him really mad at the villain. You know, um, this the entire film hinged on this moment. It was not something extra to add a little bit more spice and edge. It was the it was the single motivating factor that set everything else into motion that launched Deadpool on his emotional journey. Um so strangely enough, I guess I'm realizing the fridging that bu- that bugs me the most is where the character was kind of going in a direction anyway, and the fridging was just used to amp it up. Uh, the having the death of a loved one uh, actually start a whole journey to me that's a very different kind of thing. Again, if you know, again, I can totally see why people would get tired of seeing. Yeah, but it sure does seem to happen a lot that girlfriends get killed to to launch uh, men on journeys. Totally get that. All that being said, I thought it was done very well in this film. Um, You know, and then having her... Part of it also is because Deadpool in the comics, uh, he has a death wish. A major component of Deadpool's character is he has this... He desires to die. Uh, I mean, in the comics even, he has a relationship with Lady Death. Uh, which creates a fun little uh, love triangle between him, Death, and Thanos. Uh, but there's a sense of really, there's this undercurrent of hopelessness uh, to somebody who just wants nothing more than to die and to have everything else be, uh, and to just, you know, essentially find peace and is continuously denied it. Uh, 
one of the things that happens in the comics a lot that I really liked with this film was life, like life just shits on Deadpool all the freaking time. Uh, the very, you know, he can try to do everything right, try to do everything good, and then just shit happens. And uh, this film certainly brought it. Um, True. True that it brought it. That being said, there are a million things they could have done other than killing Vanessa. Vanessa could have left him. Vanessa could have left him right in that scene. It's right there. He comes home late. A bunch of people come. He kills them all right in front of her. She's never seen what he does before. You give it two more minutes, and she says, I can't raise a child. Oh, I would have hated of- that so much. I would. Have, so here's the thing. So I'm watching it. The very, first, the very first scene in Deadpool is we see him, you know, getting ready to kill himself on the kerosene. You know, it's very, very clear. Vanessa is no longer in the picture. And my first thought was, holy shit, is this just going to start off with her having broken up with him? Because that would have really pissed me off. Because the relationship was so strong in the first one. Um, I feel like, yeah, her leaving him uh, based on, you know, seeing his work. uh, For one thing, the character that he's already established, if Vanessa gave him the ultimatum of his work or her, he would have chosen her. Like, there wouldn't have even been a decision. Um, So they could have avoided fridging by having Vanessa leaving him. But I don't think it would have been as good for the story. I felt like it would have been lazy writing. So, yeah. and But the, I, w- I will say in, in response to that, that do they do the fridging well? Yes. Is fridging an effective emotional storytelling tool? Yes, it is. That's why, you know, the, the crow, we dinged for its fridging in that. But it really, there, there's a thing that it speaks to, especially in men. That there's a reason that it that it works. It, that people do it because it works. Is that right to do though? Would it maybe have damaged the story a little? Yes, but would it have given you know, one of only two female characters in the film just a little bit of agency, which would have been nice? Yes, she got mm-hmm. no agency. She was not a person. She was a thing to be disposed of in order to move the plot along for Deadpool and. It's alien threeing a little bit. They kill her in the first 10 minutes of the film, saving her. She was the entire point of the first film. And I understand returning to her is sort of the entire point of the second film. But it's just, it's like, I not, they don't necessarily, I would be better. I would maybe have found it a weaker story point to have her leave him. But it would have made me less angry at the film. Mm-hmm. And the I film knows the, that you're uh, angry. So, for, and, so and first the credits of all, it's interesting that the that film... It, it, he, and I feel like the credits ameliorate it a little bit. The fact that the credits start off with, holy shit, did we just kill her? I can't believe that. Like, it, to me, it took away a little bit of this. It's Deadpool 2 is a film that dares to take itself seriously, unlike the first one. Uh, it really, it, Deadpool 2 is a serious film that is continually commenting on itself, including on its seriousness. Uh, and I kind of enjoyed that. I love... To me, the best satires are ones where you make fun of your medium while at the same time doing a really good example of the medium. Uh, So the major... So, yes, the entire first film was about Deadpool trying to get back to Vanessa. Um, You know, and essentially finding... It was about him trying to find meaning. And Vanessa kind of embodied meaning to him in the first one. Uh, The major dramatic question of the second film was... When that meaning is ripped from you, when the thing that you used 
that was the only real purpose in your life is taken away, what else do you find? Um, and uh, which, you know, again, say what you will about, uh, I totally understandable about being angry about Vanessa being removed. But moving forward from that point, uh, this is a film about, and I thought in a very good way, uh, it plays on a traditional trope of, oh, somebody finding that, you know, children are the future, there is a point to it. Uh, you know, the joys of fatherhood, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it is a it is a trope that is often done and is often done in an incredibly trite uh, and lazy way. And I don't feel that was the case in this one. I felt like they actually told a really good story of a guy's journey uh, of essentially, you know, much like with Logan, of learning A, whether he wanted to be a father and B, how to be one. And uh, yeah, so let's talk about... Uh, so moving on. Well, I I want to I want to comment on something that you said because I think there is a point that that two people might reach. People who are sensitive to the fridging as much as I am might reach at one point and then and then you reach a different. You felt like the credits ameliorated the sting of Vanessa's death. And I felt that Vanessa's death and then my the uh, the attempt by the credits to ameliorate that sting made me sit through the credits with my arms folded. Like what mm-hmm. was supposed to be sort of funny I didn't find funny. And what bummed me out about that is that the the first Deadpool has such a joyous opening scene. The credits to the original Deadpool are so joyously fun. I was watching this, what would have been funny, initial opening scene, like James Bond style credits with Deadpool with my arms folded, not enjoying it because I was like, oh, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. So it, it really sounds it, like the first scene tainted the entire film for you. It did. It t- it tainted at least the the first bit of the film, and then there are other things that you know. That I'll I since we're kind of going non linearly through the film, which is sort of what we do. Um, also, none of the callbacks worked for me. Like when he looks under there and he finds a bunch of cocaine next to a box that says the cure for blindness, and they're going, mm-hmm. "Ha ha! Remember when we said that in the first movie? It's literally oh, I freaking there, love that. the way that we said it." And I was like, eh, "Eh." So okay, so here's. This actually touches on something. I am of a, I am a full believer that for as much as, you know, and it's ironic us saying it because we are, you know, our job on this podcast is to review films in some kind of a objective way. Um, I am a strong believer that 75% of whether or not we enjoy a film is the mood that we're in when we walk into the theater or, you know, or of something that happens in the first five to 10 minutes of the film. We can talk about being objective, you know, about, oh, there's something that, you know, this is objectively good comedy, this is objectively bad comedy. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to personal preference and whether we had a good fucking day. Um, Like, that callback, that's a perfect example of it. I absolutely loved that. I thought it was was funny, um, funny enough on its own, but, you know, especially funny if you remembered the first film and it was like a, it was a real like little gift to those who had specifically remembered the first film. Um, so I loved that moment. You didn't. Neither of those are incorrect, uh, are incorrect feelings for it. But I have a feeling that the fact that I enjoyed it and you didn't stems a lot more from just a straight up gut emotional place than it was from you know, logically, we can't dissect it and say, well, okay, if maybe they'd, you know, given an extra three seconds to the timing here or used a, you know, we can't, we can't technically dissect that moment in order to make it better or worse. 
Well, there's there's also, and I'll I'll give this to it. There's also a there's a problem making sequels to comedies, right? Because the the key to comedy, what 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 elicits the jocular res- response in in uh, in comedy is surprise. Uh, it's tension and release, and the release is a surprise, and that's what makes you laugh. So when you have a joke, the joke is set up. You have the moment of tension before the punchline, then the punchline hits you, and the surprise of the punchline is what makes you laugh. That's sort of the science of comedy. The problem with comedy sequels is they find themselves in a position where, because they're a sequel, they want to give you the same thing that the first movie did, because that's what a sequel should do, is is give you, you know, you're there, it, it's that movie too, so you're there for a second helping um but they have to also try and make you laugh and that's why you get problems like ghostbusters 2 is a movie that on its own had there never been a ghostbusters 1 i think ghostbusters 2 would be considered a classic it would be a really fun movie but because it follows ghostbusters 1 it's just not as funny um Mm -hmm. wayne's world 2 that's this that's the case with uh ace ventura 2 falls into this a big time where it's trying to give you the same jokes as before but bigger and funnier um you know in the first movie he parks his car in a funny way and goes like a glove and in the second movie he rides the car the car does double backflips and rolls and lands from the sky in the parking place and he goes like a glove even louder than he did the first time and the mm-hmm. problem is, is every time this film does a callback note to a joke, when, when T.J. Miller starts saying it's like an avocado, even though he's interrupted, um, and there are a few of those, there are a few times where they kind of retell the first jokes, even his punchlines have no punchiness to it. Like the, when he goes time, you know, maximum effort, it's just kind of thrown in there. It's just like, oh, we have to say this one time in the script. It's like, like Logan has to say so, bub. We're, so the scene we're where... So the scene where he regrows baby legs, which was a callback and a build on uh, the baby hand. Uh, your thoughts, yay or nay, positive or negative? You know, it's a scene where I think the budget hurt it a little bit. Um, so it was just a, a smidge too CGI for me. That being said, it was one of the funnier scenes because it wasn't just it, it was that was building on the hand. The hand was, hey, he mm-hmm. regrows a baby part in this part, in this scene the sheer absurdity of him walking on baby legs um mm-hmm. with a little baby penis um is well, I think yeah you, you, you hit on something very that- well there so so talking about the the problem with sequels or sequels to comedies is uh you know you can't just rehash the jokes from the previous one uh you have to build on them uh so CGI aside which i admit was a little you know looked a little schlocky uh, I think that's a good, that scene is a good example of taking a joke from the first one, essentially, you know, clearly calling back to it, but then uh, building further giving and giving the audience something new and something more. Uh, another example of that would be when he's in the X-Mansion and he, you know, and he says again, like, seriously, where the hell is everybody? There's only two of you. Uh, had they just left it at that, uh, exactly. like they did in the first one, it would have been a complete and total rehash and I would have felt extremely let down. But then the fact that he says, God, you think the studio would throw us a freaking bone? And then he turns around and for a three second scene, you see the entire cast of first class uh, or at least this current generation of X-Men in a film or in a room uh, before Beast comes and closes the door behind him. And it is really That's them. Brilliant. And they did really film it for this film. Because they were shooting mm-hmm. X-Men Dark Phoenix at the same time, and the director showed up and said, hey, can we just get a shot of you in one of your rooms? 
can we just get a shot in one of the rooms? Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. So it's, it's, so it's, it's not even sort it of calls back to the joke. Thing. It calls back to the joke and builds on it. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. I was, and I was put off by the callback and then enjoyed the build on. So everywhere where the film mm-hmm. strives to do something fresh, like, like I would say the X-Force bit was, mm-hmm. which was so wholly funny. new. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. so funny, but everywhere I think the problem I have with this film is not that it's a bad film, and I and I think I'm ragging on it because you liked it so much. I think that I'm reacting mm-hmm. to the fact that you're saying that this is better than the first one. I will say that despite its budget, um, with the exception of X Force and Cable, Cable like we we'll talk about Cable in a second. With the exception of X Force and Cable. Everything about this film is inferior to the first. Deadpool's not as good. Negasonic T- Teenage Warhood is not as good. Colossus, who is rendered beautifully in this film, is like clearly they spent a lot more money on Colossus, is not as mm-hmm. charming as kind of poorly done Colossus. I don't know why, but Colossus is now gleaming and perfect. And when he moves, it looks very real. And that lacks the charm of clearly this is a slightly less expensive colossus to me. It's the Star Wars um, rubber mask effect. Yeah, the the it's just I and and had I never seen that first one, I think I would have been totally awesome with this colossus. But there's something I liked about that how cartoony that colossus looks cuz this colossus looks real. Um mm-hmm. you I found Negasonic Teenage Warhead to, to lack any of the fire and any of the charm that she had in the first movie. There's I did not like her in this film at all. I like Yukio. I just I thought, thought she Yukio had a, I mean, she clearly had a smaller role. She clearly had a smaller role, but even everything she did, she, she liked, like, she seems like she's trying to be prettier. They're spending more money on her makeup. She's softer. There, there's just, it was just not there uh, for hmm. me. And I felt that way a bit about Deadpool. Um, I felt that way a lot about TJ Miller's uh, character. Um, but let's talk yeah, about the scenes what with TJ, the, the scenes with TJ Miller's character. It's interesting. I don't think either of us can actually remember the character's name, which says something. Yeah, it's just TJ Miller's um, character. I agree. the The parts that seemed that were the most guilty of just rehashing the old joke uh, were the scenes with TJ Miller. Uh, like and I you, loved that joke in the first one. He was one of the best yeah. things about well, it, the first one. Well, and that's the thing. So it worked in the first one, but in this in this setting in this. Uh, it was too fish out of water in this particular film uh, for those for those particular scenes. And his I mean, honestly, you could have uh, plot wise aside in terms of tone, you could have actually removed his character and it would have uh, the tone would not have been hurt at all. Um, now, the character that I do think they, you know, they continued to build on because we loved him so much in the first one was I loved where they took Dopinder. Um like actually giving him his own arc as well of wanting to become a contract killer. And the, I, I think one of my favorite parts in the film just made me love him so much is when, uh, you know, he says he wants to be a superhero and he asks, you know, and Deadpool asks, yeah, so what's your superpower? And he has that brief pause and then just flashes this warm, sweet, just endearing smile and says, courage? Like, it's it's just the most charming thing in the world. Which, of course... Uh, makes a fantastic foil to him wanting to become a contract killer. Uh, Dopinder and, while, is a, and while I enjoyed Dopinder's arc in this film, I liked him less in this film than I liked him in the first film. Um, let's talk about something that? I really did like. Josh Brolin as Cable. Um, first of all, Josh Brolin, welcome to being like the bad guy in the number one film 
of the summer two three weekends in a row it's going to be next weekend too i'm sure like oh no because it's solo will be out but like the fact that you get to and be also Thanos deadpool, at, i think deadpool did uh deadpool knocked avengers out of number one slot yeah so brolin is just like i don't care doesn't matter which one's in number one as long as it's me i would not be surprised if josh brolin was now the, the the villain of solo just make him the villain of all the things i love that he throws it away so fast when deadpool calls him thanos just so fast just call oh, him i didn't thanos see, i didn't even catch that he calls him thanos oh, at brilliant. one point yeah it's really 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 funny and, and when he i do like this the reference to other comic book properties I did dig when he when he did say the, all the new stuff that he added when he said the reason I'm home late is there was this other guy who was really dark but we found out both her mom's name was Martha. I yeah, I was, laughed at that. Oh yeah. When he goes there, there should be a moratorium they, on the metal arms from now on. I laughed at that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The and the continual comparisons to Logan. Uh, which do, but also the bring in the fact that he can criticize the Avengers movies now too, where where, where he goes. Where he goes, I am nothing but a cancer growing inside of me and destroying me from the inside out. Give me a bow and arrow and I'm basically Hawkeye. Yeah. Or the uh, when he's on top. Again, a real quick throwaway. When he's fighting, he jumps on the juggernaut's back and is like, hey, big guy, sun's going down. Oh, shit. That didn't work. Yeah. No, that's that. That stuff I liked. I dug that a lot. Um, And I thought Ryan Reynolds did fine with the the serious stuff. I maybe I didn't. So here's a question. Maybe for the long term, what they're doing is a good idea to make it more serious. Because maybe the thing is, is I didn't want the serious. Want, movie that I think I got. that's. I, a, I think that's the big thing. You you wanted something that was just as comic and fun as the first. The first film was just a riot, a laugh fest, a, a joyous and vicious romp. That you know, and but the character growth in it. Uh, you know, the actual seriousness in the first film was kind of, you know, tacked on for the sake of it. Uh, you know, it was tacked on for plot motivation and stuff with the exception of and was the weakest you know, part the, of that film as far as I was concerned. Yeah. With the with the exception of the tremendous chemistry between him and Vanessa uh, that we talked about, uh, all of the actual serious aspects of the film were the weakest parts of Deadpool one. Uh, so I can totally understand how if you were. Not just expecting, but actually desiring more of that, then yes, Deadpool 2 would be a letdown. Uh, because while it has that, it doesn't have that to the same degree. And it's actually, it is clearly trying to be a different kind of film. Still a film with lots of comedy to it, but, uh, you know, and I think you're right in that it, this is the kind of film that could give a franchise more legs because suddenly you've got a serious character. Um, the biggest problem that Deadpool always has, even in the comics is, and the reason why they've been trying to give him some kind of heart or some kind of motivation is the problem with antiheroes is until they actually develop arcs and character growth, they're really only good for one or two stories. Uh, classic example, Captain Jack Sparrow, a phenomenal second, uh, a phenomenal, uh, second support character in the first Pirates of the Caribbean. And the first Pirates of the Caribbean is really about Will Turner, who is not as interesting a character, but with Jack Sparrow as a sidekick, it's perfect. It's Luke Skywalker and Han Solo in the first Star Wars. Um, Han Solo... Giving Han Solo his own movie, that's a terrible idea. Well, no, here's the thing. So 
I will say that at least for the uh, for the first trilogy, for the first Star Wars trilogy, had it had Han Solo been the main character, even though side by side, Han is a much more interesting character than Luke in many ways. Side by side, the story would not have been served nearly as well uh, with Han in the lead. In the same way that uh, you know all the pirates films that tried to make Jack Sparrow the lead uh, aren't didn't really work because at the end of the day, Jack Sparrow is, yes, he's funny, and but at the end of the day, he's just kind of a selfish guy out for the next big score, and that's it. And that is not something that you can build uh, a long-lasting story on. That's good for a one-and-done. Uh, so in that sense, the if you want to continue with Deadpool, you have to make him... You have to give him some kind of arc, and it can't just be a tacked-on arc because we can... Because we can feel and recognize those, too. Uh, there's a lot of... See, there are some of the comic arcs in Deadpool where it is clear that his arc is tacked on, and it just doesn't work. I'm interested in seeing what the long-term feeling toward this film is going to be. Because right now, people seem to really like it. But you know how the tide can change as time goes on, right? People, mm-hmm. as they talk about a film, as they listen to podcasts, as they watch it a couple of times... It is either seen as as superior or inferior. I think that the problem is there there are film franchises that do this well. You know, I think about Bad Boys 2, which is not a great film, nor is Bad Boys a great film, but they really just go, hey, you know what? You liked all that stuff in Bad Boys? Let's turn it up a notch, and here's all that stuff again. I love Bad Boys 2, and the Lethal Weapon franchise does it really well as well. They go, you like this? Mm -hmm. Here's some more of it. Here's some more, and it's turned up, and it's even kind of funner. The energy is turned up. The idea of turning this energy down and making making it a more serious film, I think specifically about the feeling I had from the first Deadpool when I walked out was... There's a movie that came out in the 90s. It was one of The Rock's first movies called The Rundown with Sean William Scott. Oh, I loved The Rundown so much. That was an incredible film. Um, It is such a romp. It is so much fun. We saw Sean Mm -hmm. William Scott basically playing a PG-rated Deadpool. If they made The Rundown 2, and it was still funny, but they decided to make it kind of a more serious, darker affair, I would be Mm -hmm. really disappointed because... The rundown gave me this experience that was such an interesting and wonderful and fresh experience to give me a completely different experience and call it the rundown. I had my I would have had my mind set and ready to go for this and to give me this other thing instead makes me you're either going to go oh my gosh I was not expecting that wow or you're going to go the other way and go I wanted this. And I appreciate well, you trying to give about, me more and different, but you also, in large part, failed to give me, in this case, this movie, as much of the escapism as the first. And maybe I spent more time trying to intellectually figure out where I, how I was supposed to be taking the movie, how am I supposed to feel? Maybe because mm-hmm. I, maybe because we spent time analyzing the first movie. I don't know, but I found myself well. Realizing I think it comes down to that it wasn't you, you've touched on something there, which is. What happens when a, you know, to what extent does a film have a, especially a sequel, uh, to what extent does it have an obligation to fulfill your expectations? Uh, so let's talk, you know, and I think what you talked about with, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the opinion of this film will be uh, for, uh, for, you know, in the, in the years to come. Uh, like case in point, to me, the example that I keep coming back to 
was Empire. Empire, people hated it when it first opened. Uh, it's actually funny. Most of the most of the accusations that have been leveled against the Last Jedi are carbon copies of the accusations that were leveled against Empire. Empire is not a New Hope. Uh, it is a very different kind of film. It has it has a lot of the same characteristics, uh, but there are places that it goes that are very different from where New Hope went. And it is only you know now you know thirty years later everyone looks back and is like, oh, Empire was the best in the trilogy, and it's just considered this accepted thing. Uh, the but at the time, I think it was because it was not what people were expecting. And it was not what people were wanting at the time. People were wanting a new hope again, and they didn't get it. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know whether I, I am not saying that Deadpool 2 is Empire. I do not think that's the case. Uh, but when it com- I have found that I, I would I would posit that when it comes to trying to predict what opinions of a film will be years after if one of the major issues of that film was that it subverted people's expectations. My feeling is it is likelier for that opinion to go up than down because people will eventually get over their own expectations, uh, especially on repeated viewings. Happened to me in Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron was much darker than I expected. Uh, And I walked out of the theater not liking it as much as Avengers, but upon going back and seeing it a second time, years later, now knowing how dark it was, I was able to look at it and say, oh, oh, I actually prefer this now. I think it would be also interesting for me to watch it. You know, it's like I said, it's worth noting that I saw this movie in a way that I don't watch movies. So I Mm -hmm. did not have the communal experience, which made me maybe laugh less and raised the bar on what was going to make me laugh. And you get that, well, you get that plus the one-two punch of... uh, you know, of an absolute textbook fridge, uh, which is something that, as you said, uh, you are particularly sensitive to. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's going to affect the entire rest of the film. Yeah. At least so, upon first viewing. Now that we've gone through the film, let's just take a minute uh, before we end, because we haven't talked about Cable at all, um, and we're running out of time, but I think... Yeah, let's talk about the characters uh, here. Let's do a quick rundown. Um, uh, Deadpool, uh, would you say better or worse, in your opinion, than the first film? Over the character on. or the, the character or Character the film? performance, your, your, your experience of the character. Um, I enjoyed the character more in this. He had, uh, he had more depth. Um, it made him more likable. I mean, he was, don't get me wrong, he was likable as hell in the first one, but uh, the, yeah, I liked him more. And I thought he wasn't as, you know, it's interesting, there are comics out there that then after doing comedy go out and do something more serious, they'll write a book or they'll do, you know, like Dennis Leary's an example, he went from his, his comedy shows to writing books that were a little more serious. I did not want more serious Deadpool, so I think he's not as good. Um, Dopinder, we've talked mm-hmm. about. Uh, let's talk about Domino. I love Domino. Domino's oh my god, great. Domino was just everything about her was just. And this is a credit to the actress. Um, every time she's on screen, there is just something so unbelievably charming to her, and I couldn't quite put. It's one of those things you. I mean, it's a classic example of je ne sais quoi. You can't put your finger on exactly what it is, but you just every time I look at her. Uh, it's just she. I think I can say what some of the, the Sequoia is. You know what she's doing? She's smiling. 
in the middle of the she's action a, yes. scenes. She's enjoying she's, the hell out of herself. Yes. And it's clear that and it's that's not just something the I noticed as, a, as an acting choice. You know, that's actually a good point. The uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, so my wife, Kelly, she's also a performer. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how she'll feel about this, but I'm going to praise her, you know, in public in a public forum uh, in this podcast. One of the things that is such a delight about watching her um, is especially when she's just singing. Uh, she did a, she was part of a Christmas, uh, concert, uh, this past year. And so she was just singing, you know, regular Christmas carols that we all have, you know, seen and heard a million times. And it wasn't just that she was connecting with it, but she was singing with this smile. And the, the phrase that jumped to my mind was there is unbelievable gratitude in her smile. It is not just that she's enjoying herself but that she's truly grateful for the experience. Uh, and come to think of it, I see a little bit of the same thing in Domino. It's You're right. It absolutely comes down to that smile and everything that's behind it. Um, cable. Let's do it. Cable, Cable. What an interesting... I hated Cable in the comics. I just want to come straight out and say I didn't... I. Like I know very little about him. Cable. I kept trying to get into him and never really could. So yeah, I'm probably in the same same area. He is there. in the comics. He is the 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 son of Cyclops and Madeline Pryor, who is a clone of Jean Grey, who is then taken into the future by um uh not apocalypse, but uh maybe it is apocalypse. Yeah, it's apocalypse. He's taken into the future by apocalypse where he is raised in the future and then he comes back in time as an old man to be the leader of the new mutants and then finally X-Force. Mm-hmm. So that all of that is done away with. He's in this he's a time traveling warrior guy from the future whose family gets killed. Um the fact that he doesn't quip, he doesn't tell a joke, he doesn't there's no irony or humor to this character is so interesting mm-hmm. for this. He's yeah. driven. His story is serious. He's all. He's almost in a different movie, but he totally, totally works for this film as a counterpoint to Deadpool. It would have been. I wish Deadpool was funnier in this because it would have been fun to watch Deadpool kind of dance around Cable mm-hmm. in this. That would have been well, a really I think interesting to, dynamic. You're, to a certain extent, we were expecting a buddy cop film, and the Cable that Josh Brolin plays, and like. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool and Josh Brolin's Cable. If you put them in a delightful romp buddy cop film, if you put them in the rundown, it would be an astonishing film to watch. Uh, like the their characters are clearly so perfectly built for that. Uh, it's interesting to note that they're so they've got that buddy cop dynamic in a film that is not a buddy cop movie. Yeah, but it's also worth going. You know, you just said it. You just hit the nail on the head. That would have been an astonishing film. If you have the pieces in place, the recipe, like ingredients to make an astonishing film, to make a film that's different and not astonishing is, I don't know, maybe not the way to go. Well, also, to a certain extent, you don't, that's, you're saying it like somebody can predict what on-screen chemistry is going to be like between two actors. Now, here's the thing. If they make a Deadpool 3, now it's a perfect, like... The the absolute, uh, so the charisma. So you're of saying Domino, that it's like this is the, the Lethal Weapon one to what Deadpool yeah, three could be like Lethal Weapon three. 
I mean, it, it, it's That's very easy for us to look at. It's very easy for us to look at a film after everything is done and go back and say, "Well, clearly, look at the chemistry between these two. You absolutely should have, you know, developed that more." But it's the sort of thing that it's just like you don't, you know, the script is already in place. The shoot schedule is put. You know, you can you can judge it a little bit uh, by saying, you know, hey, these two are really, really great together. Let's give them a little bit more screen time. But you can't go back and completely rework the film by the time you discovered that. Uh, however, hopefully what you do is you take advantage of that in the next film that you create. Yeah, I, I again, it's it's an interesting, it's it's an it's so interesting to me that you have such a different take on it. I see opportunities lost. You see opportunities, alternate opportunities taken. It's really interesting. Um, we've talked character. We've talked movie. Let's, let's wrap it up here. Uh, in your opinion, on a scale of one to five chimichangas, where mm-hmm. would you rate Deadpool two and why? Uh, I'd give it a, I'd give it a very solid four. Uh, I was, I left the theater thinking 4.5, but after what we've discussed and everything, no rock solid four. It is a um, different film. The- than, it is a different film than the first one, but I enjoyed it just as much. Uh, actually, I'm. It, I, I think part of it was also I loved the first Deadpool in the theater. When I saw it again, it was still enjoyable, but it definitely had stepped down a peg for me. Uh, I have a feeling this one will hold up to a repeated viewing more than the first one did. I mean, the first one, you, you know, we talked about the action sequences were great. But there weren't that many of them. Like, it is a... I didn't realize how small the film was until I saw it again. Uh, For my money, uh, I'm going to give this one a three. Three chimichangas. I just didn't... I've not felt such a divide between you and me on this film as, as... I have felt like between me and others when it comes to the movie Iron Man 3. There are people that far and away call that the best Iron Man movie. And I, mm-hmm. when I, 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 it's grown on me, but when I walked out of the theater, I hated that film. I thought that it, it blew it on every, in every respect. I was angry at that film. I'm not angry at this film. This is not a bad movie. Uh, this is a three for me. I liked it. It was, I'll probably watch it again. I would, if I weren't looking for an opportunity to get my wife to see it, I would never see it in the theater again. I don't know if I would buy it. But I would check it out again. I might put it on in the background. But I, whereas Deadpool was a must own for me, a must see, a must show. I wanted to show my dad because this is such a like, like, check this out. You don't like superhero films. This is going to be something different. You'll enjoy this. I can't imagine doing the same with Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 is a, is a middling superhero movie that came and went that was, that had some really laugh out loud moments but a lot fewer and a lot less charm for me. So Deadpool 2 is is inferior in my in my opinion. And I'm alone in this by the way. The the reviews have been that this is that this is as good if not better including well, the cinema it sounds score to review. me and people like it more than I do. In that here's well here's what's interesting about it is that uh so yes to a certain degree we are certainly in disagreement about uh how much we enjoyed this film. What's interesting to me is that we're actually not in a ton of disagreement as to what this film is, what it was going for, and whether or not it achieved that. Um, it's the disagreement, a lot of it is coming down to this, did I want this kind of film? Uh, which I think is neat because it's, uh, um, 
you know, it's it, to me, it's always much more frustrating when, you know, when we disagree about the objective aspects of a piece. Um, and I don't think there's as much disagreement about it. It's essentially it's what were we what were we wanting walking into that theater? Yeah, it's, it comes down to the, the, the underlying. Was it a good idea to do it this way? You say yes, I say mm-hmm. no. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. where we are. Um, and this is this is definitely out- one. Let me throw this one out to those uh, to those listening because um, I think the only time that we've so far the only major disagreement that we've had, uh, I don't think we have had one. Not in anything. The that crow. We've I, I, the crow was five um, for me, and you you really. Well, yeah, but the crow was you. one where it was that the crow was one where the crow was a clearly that, that was a a major major film to your life. Uh, like I knew there was going to be disagreement about that one, but it was kind of predicted. It's just like, if we, if we did a review of the last unicorn, you know, I'd be giving, I'd be giving that film a solid 4.5 stars, but there would be absolutely no surprise to me. I tried tried for you. I watched it. Yeah, no, I know you did. I know, but it's like, so it's the sort of thing. That's one where I recognize that the, that so much of the value in that film is my own personal experience. Uh, but this is one that I think it's, this is the first time that we've had a film that both of us have experienced at about the same time that we've disagreed with, uh, which is why I will throw it out to all those of you in, uh, totally super podcast land. And that's a lame way of saying it. I'll come up with a better one at some point. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, (laughs) yeah, what just, no, 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 just stick with it. It works. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, come on, um, uh, post on Facebook, send us a, send us a Twitter, uh, let us know what your thoughts were on this one. Uh, do you feel like this film would have been better as a straight-up comedy? Do you like the direction that it went in? Uh, I'm really... Uh, you know, it's one thing. The review, you know, the critical reviews are positive. Uh, but critical reviews versus, you know, fan feelings can sometimes be different. And I'd be really curious to see what the fan feelings are on this one. Um Speaking of uh, dubious fan things, uh, I are you planning to see uh, Solo, a Star Wars story? Is that coming up for you? Uh, in I am your future? planning to see it. I I don't know what my schedule is going to be like. It is it is not a film that I'm like. Oh, I'm totally there opening night. Uh, it is it is definitely it's Star Wars. Of course, I'm going to see it. Um, I am not waiting with bated breath to see it. Well, I will be there on opening night. To watch, uh, I believe to watch that. Solo, yeah. a Star Wars story. Um, I, as soon as you have seen it, that's going to be a brief detour uh, for Totally Super. We've already seen Avengers, uh, Avengers Infinity War. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Deadpool 2 uh, just came out. Solo, a Star Wars story, comes out uh, uh, this upcoming Thursday. Um, in terms of superhero films, The, Incredible, the Incredibles 2 comes out Friday, June 15th. Uh, Jurassic World, mm-hmm. which we will probably mention but not talk that much about. Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out Friday, July 6th. So we'll have to do an Ant-Man yeah. retrospective right before that happens. I've watched Ant-Man twice in the last 48 hours. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, I know. Um, we'll have to was decide it, whether Was it child or not- motivated or was it your own choice? It was, but I found myself enjoying it way more than I thought I would. Um, oh, we'll have to decide whether or not to do Teen Titans Go to the movies. Might be interesting to see an animated. Uh, we will have already done Incredibles. So we'll find out about that. I'll like it when we've got a little bit more time to go back into some of the some of the films of the 80s and 90s, because that's always a nice little step into the Wayback Machine. 
yeah, so like I said, we have, we have X-Men coming up. Uh, we still have the Batman films to talk about um, uh, and the different phases of the Batman films. We haven't touched the DC Cinematic Universe yet, uh, any of the sequels to Superman. There are so many things uh, coming out. Blade. I mean, there's, there's an unending. It's unending. All the amazing movies we can talk about. We hope you've enjoyed uh, uh, the first 90% of this podcast and then the last 10% where we just talk about what we're doing next. But hey, stick with us. My name is Justin. And I'm Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment.